Hello and welcome to episode 52 of Once Upon a Nightmare. As always, I am your host Lorraine and I'm here to discuss the fictional horrors of the world. Sometimes they may be real. Is this episode based on real events? Do you believe in urban legends? I'm going back to 1998 and this is Urban Legend. Last week we discussed folklore. Today we get more specific. This is what we call an urban legend. Contemporary folklore passed on as a true story. Something you might have heard about mixing pop rocks and soda. Supposedly, your stomach and your intestines burst. Voila, still alive. Mr. Bronx, please. He's gonna explode! Somebody call 911! <laughs> they are the legends we've all heard. Gang members drive around at night with their headlights off. And when someone goes to flash in their high beams to warn them, they kill them. The stories we've all told. Guy and a girl, and they're parked out in the woods. Yeah, the guy steps out, and the girl starts to hear these scratching noises. It's her dead boyfriend hung from a tree. The tales we've all listened to. Isn't there another story about a guy with an axe hiding in a woman's back seat? My mom still checks the back seat before getting into a car. But just because it never happened doesn't mean it never will. decapitated body was found in her car. I knew I should have gone to NYU. This girl, she could have been any one of us. What if there is a lunatic on campus? What is he gonna do next, huh? <laughs> Maybe put spider eggs in Bubblicious? <laughs> the idea of an urban legend serial killer. It's a stretch. The call's coming from inside the house. Could it be an urban legend? <laughs> I can help you with. I want to know what's going on here. Someone out there is taking all these urban legends and making them reality. Urban legend. Have you heard the one about the microwave? Urban Legend was directed by Jamie Blanks and written by a Silvio Horta. It's an 18 and runs for about an hour and 39 minutes. To be honest, I think this could have been a 15. I don't feel like any of the kills are particularly brutal. I don't think they're 18 worthy. I don't know. I was just a bit surprised to see it was an 18. Um, it did have a budget of $14 million and made $72.5 million. So it did really well. Tells a story of a group of college students who are killed off one by one, but in relation to an urban legend. And the film not only uses urban legends as a method of killing, but it's also part of a story because it's part of their education. So some of the students are taking a folklore class with a Professor Wexler, who is played by Freddy Krueger or Robert England, tomato, tomato, legends. Uh, he tells stories of urban legends in his class. And despite there being all these killings, they don't really connect them. Though Natalie, who is played by Alicia Witt, believes there is a killer on campus and that they take the urban legend route as their method of killing. But all this is met with disbelief. But as more and more die, it then soon becomes clear that Natalie, she just might be onto something. 
The film does have quite a few well-known faces. We have Jared Leto as Paul, but apparently he forgot he was in this film. He has no recollection at all. I think I seen him on a red carpet somewhere and he was like, was I? Was I in that? Yeah, bit of a stretch, bit of a stretch, Jared. Anyway, he was hot off of uh, My So-Called Life back in, I think I finished in 1995, Jordan Catalano. Probably really popular in the States. It was over in, oh, actually it was in Ireland at the time, but I presume it was here too, especially for teenagers and young adults. We also have Rebecca Gayhart as Brenda and Damon, played by Joshua Jackson. He probably wasn't as well known for this because he would then become Pacey from Dawson's Creek in 98. Uh, and, you know, he then would become a household name. And of course, we have Tara Reid as Sasha. And this, again, would have been before American Pie, so I didn't really know who she was, you might have. A lot of the actors around this time were, they were very much a part of my 20s. Um, most of them are around my age, same, younger, older, but basically around the same. So I followed them all for quite a while. And I guess with films like Scream, I know what we did last summer, you know, it was, it was a time when horror came back. And I've said this before, especially with this slasher horror genre with, like Wes Craven has, you know, of course he gave us Kruger, but you know, he also gave us Scream back in 1996 and it really threw it all back into the public eye. And, um, you know, this film was also part of it. Although this film does feel different from any that I can remember off the top of my head with regards to the way they kill, it isn't just one way because they use these urban legends. Obviously they're all different. And if anything, due to how the kills are done, it throws people off because, you know, they don't believe it's the same person doing them. Only Natalie really cops on that, you know, that something's going wrong. You know, serial killers tend to have an MO. Uh, not all of them do, but a lot of them do. They've got a particular kind when it comes to person, you know, men, women, uh, gay, straight kids, unfortunately, you know, and they have a method of, method of how they do it. But due to the nature of urban legends and them all being so different, there's no real connection apart from the fact that people are dying, but they are all dying in the same area and they are all, apart from the odd one, well, they're all connected. They're connected to the university. They don't necessarily have to be the students. So the beginning takes you right into a lesson um, as how not to judge a book by its cover. We have a young woman, Michelle, she's played by Natasha Wagner, and she pulls into this petrol station to be greeted by Michael, who's played by Brad, uh, Brad Dorff, it's dark, it's quiet, it's isolated, you know, there's tension in the air. I think the weather's really bad from what I remember. And, um, or was it? I can't remember. Now, to be fair, uh, Michael was acting a bit odd. And, but, you know, instead of like thinking what we think we're thinking, he's actually trying to warn Michelle and he probably doesn't go about this the best way. He's trying to actually let her know that there's somebody sitting in the back of her car how she reacts to him, you can't really blame her because he takes her car to pay and then he comes out, it's not working, can you come in please? But when she goes into the petrol station, you know, he locks her in there and, you know, he won't let her out. It appears that he's trying to keep her there against her will, not for good reason. I would have probably acted the same. And he unfortunately isn't one for getting his words out quickly. And this will be Michelle's de demise because he's trying to tell her she won't listen, so she runs back and gets in the car, and there's someone in the back of the car. So this first murder, it really sets us off for how brutal the kills can actually be. I know they said why in 18, but I still think in 15. Uh, Michelle was found in her car decapitated, and driving along, she is kind of crying, singing, listening to the radio over what's just happened with Michael, and then she sees this person in the mirror, 
and they give her a whack with an axe. And it's also the kind of kill that you know you're very likely to get out of. There's a huge element of surprise. She doesn't have much time to avoid what's happening to her. The only way she would have avoided that is if they missed. And then she might have stood a chance. Movies like this, of course, give us that group of young adults that you care very little about. To start off, we have Damon. He's in the class that is run by Wexler and the subject of Pop Rocks comes up. And Damon volunteers himself to see, is this true? And that's the one where if you have Pop Rocks and you wash them down with some fizzy pop, that they will make your insides explode. I suppose we see it as well with... um. What you got? You know, when you put the men Mentos in the bottles of Coke, and they all shoot up. Well, I suppose it's the same thing when it happens um, in your tummy. And he starts frothing at the mouth, and he's like, you know, as if he's dying. But he's a bit of a prankster. But everyone believes it, and it's kind of bad timing, really, because obviously, you know, this um, this girl has just been murdered. So it's probably a bit of insight to how shallow they actually are. But this urban legend actually uh, sent the brand of sweets pop rocks you know down the drain people were so scared of it happening that the cells of the sweets never really recovered and because they believe that this boy who was in I think his name is John Gilchrist he was in these commercials and they a serial ad and he was well known for all these commercials and they believe that he died from doing this uh he in fact is uh, alive and well and living in New York but it, it's really weird that people this boy has come out and said, look, I'm not dead. That didn't happen, but people still believe it. And the company apparently went bust. But, you know, it's it's just an example when you see Damon do this of, of how shallow some of these people are. You know, if someone's just died, you don't, you don't start doing that in a classroom. I mean, don't do it anyway, but you really don't do it here. So going for the shallow ones, we have Sasha and she is played by Tara Reid. She's a radio presenter in this. And Michelle was listening to the radio when she died. And, you know, she would have heard her voice. And Sasha actually comments on that, you know, oh God, I would have been the last person that she heard. Like, how the fuck is that relevant? But anyway, and then Damon is acting really upset. So we're kind of thinking, oh God, actually, he might have known this girl. She might have been a friend, someone that he cared about. No, apparently she gives really good blow jobs, and that's not, you know, that he's not going to get them anymore from her. Like, can you imagine actually saying that after someone has died? And the worst thing is, there's people sat around them and they start pissing themselves laughing. And it's just you don't care what's going to happen to these people. They're not doing themselves any favours. Um, Natalie, though, played by, um, as mentioned, Alicia Witt, she does seem to have some compassion and she's not a dick. And we do find out that she was friends with Michelle, but they had a fallen out, which I will go into in a bit. Damon, though, whole new level of dick. He's just awful. And, you know, he uses all this oldest trick in the book. You know, I'm really a nice guy and I keep it under wraps. You know, I don't know what that accent was. Um, you know, because he wants to keep a reputation. Like, why would you want a reputation of being a preg? You know, that's beyond me. I've never understood that. But it's all a ruse, really, because he's going to Natalie. Oh, let's, you know, we'll go for a drive and we can talk and all this kind of stuff. But he basically just wants to get in her pants, you know. And she cops on really quickly that he's um, he's a piece of shit. Well, she already knew, but she cops on again. So Damon needing to go to the toilet heads off into the bushes and he doesn't come back. So she does a little investigation and she then comes face to face with this unknown person. So she jumps back into the car and she's hearing this tapping on the car. And I think all along she thinks it's Damon because he's such a prankster and like such a, a dick, you know what I mean? So he could be like trying to make her jump, trying to scare her, but he's actually hanging 
above the car and the tippy tapper you hear is his feet. And he, you know, he, he doesn't want her to drive off because if she drives off, then the rope that's been tied to the back of the car falls and he dies. Uh, he gets, he ha uh, gets hung. And, you know, th this, you know, death is brutal. Um, but, you know, you can't blame Natalie for driving off and pulling up and stuff like that. Now, she does go and report all this, but the evidence is gone. So then it's kind of like, is Damon away? They all think he's off snowboarding. Is he a prankster? Did he die? I mean, we know he did. Um, she knows he did because he comes smashing through the car window, but nobody, again, is willing to believe her. So the first two deaths we see, they are urban legends. Firstly, the one in the back of the seat. Now, I always do check the back seat of the car when I get into it. I will never leave my kid in the car to run and pay for petrol or something. I'm extremely cautious. So, um, you know, this would be, I would always look. But, you know, there's going to be those times where you just jump in it and you're never expecting to see anyone in there. So this legend goes back to apparently 1968. And it was first noted by folklorist Carlo Drake. So the story goes that a senior in high school was driving home at night and was being followed by a guy behind her in a truck. And he was flashing his lights at her. And his beams would, would come on a lot. But, you know, this would scare her more and more. And no matter where she turned, he would follow her. But it turns out, Every time he flashed, he was doing it because a person's head would pop up in the back. So there was a man huddled behind the driver's seat, so in between the seat and the back seat, and he had a knife. But he didn't want anyone to see what he was doing. So every time the beams came up, he would duck down. And this is also known as the high beam legend, which is, you know, the use of flashing lights, high beams. And that's how Natalie and um, Michelle fell out Uh because of this game, they kept flashing a guy high beams and it killed him. You know, the car crashed. Um, and anyone who has been in a car at night knows how blinding beams are, whether you're in the front or the back. So, you know, this guy that was flashing this girl back in 1968, he's, he saved her life, you know, but she thought that he was he was trying to trying to get her. Now, it's happened on the roof with Damon. Uh, when he dies, it comes from Morgan's Corner in Ehu. Sorry, I'm saying that so wrong in Hawaii. Anyway, so this couple are out, they're being all intimate and they hear tapping and uh, he goes to check and he doesn't come back and he is hanging above the car, but he's upside down. So the legend has it that he's actually, his fingers are tipping on the roof, but this is because he was sliced open and he's just dangling down and his fingers are tapping. So while the film does a slightly different version, it's kind of the same thing. So that's where that one comes from. Now, Natalie now has her detective hat on really hard. And again, no one's taken much heed of what she's saying. Standard. She believes all this is connected, but no one wants to know. She heads back to her room. She's frustrated. And, you know, she has a roommate because a lot of these films you see, they always have a roommate within the dorms that they're in. And it wouldn't be uncommon for Natalie to go back and hear quite aggressive sex noises. And this girl she lives with, she doesn't, they don't get on. She's painted her room completely black. She's a, she's goth and she just doesn't want to know. So Natalie sneaks in, gets into bed. But what's actually happening in the noise is uh, the roommate is being murdered, not having sex. So, but what makes this all creepy is when Natalie wakes up and then she finds her roommate and she sees blood. She turns around and on the walls, it says, aren't you glad you didn't turn the light on? This one is simply based on two college students, not quite the same sex setup, but pretty much the same story. So two friends share a room, one goes to a party and the other one doesn't want to go and she stays home. 
and creeps into bed. And when she wakes up, she finds her mate is dead in bed. And it says again, aren't you glad you didn't turn the lights on? But, you know, there's blood on the wall. But the death in this film, unfortunately, gets passed off as a suicide. Again, they don't want to know. Now, these types of films wouldn't be a film without someone trying to get some sort of story on it. And that is Paul, a.k.a. Jared Letter, who actually wasn't in the film. Well, he was, but he wasn't. He is your typical reporter, just interested in the story, not the people. He does try and do the whole off-the-record ship. I've never really understood the whole reporter thing, you know, whatever they're due to get the story, that mentality. I just, I don't get how you could fuck someone over just so you could put some words on a piece of paper. But anyway, Natalie is trying to push the urban legend story, but it's hard for people to believe. Paul doesn't really buy it, but... We do actually have, which I suppose is, it kind of makes sense. It kind of, you know, you could kind of believe that. We've got this anniversary coming up and the anniversary does relate to a person who actually works at the university now. So this is the anniversary of the Stanley Hall massacre, which Paul actually doesn't believe it happened, for, that, it, that it actually um, happened. But the creepy janitor that we see, he actually plays a three finger in the original wrong term movie, Julian Richens. He says says enough he doesn't say it all but he says enough and they go they go looking for answers from professor wexler because it turns out that it was actually him that was there and he survived the massacre and therefore it would be a fair assumption to think maybe on the anniversary he's kind of lost his mind he's flipped and he's going around killing people so they go to speak to him and what they find in his office doesn't look good he looks like he's as guilty as shit he has that coat because every time someone gets killed they've got this weird like anorak thing on with this hood and he's got a lot of weapons there there's an axe there for 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 instance so they obviously want to talk to people they get caught in there by wexler and he takes them to the dean and again nobody's taking them seriously and they then start bringing up all this shit about natalie's past so with three people dead does it not seem a bit odd why does it not enter anyone's head Paul gets fired from the paper and then, of course, does some digging. But they're, of course, looking in all the wrong places. Paul and Natalie finally join forces. Somebody's there to finally listen to Natalie. And they then go to this party, but not before, of course, having a wee schmooch. And this, of course, pisses off Brenda because Brenda is, you know, she fancies Paul. And she catches them. And she's not very happy. Anyway, so the party is run by another prick. Lots of pricks here. And he is Parker, played by Michael Rosenboom. So he has a dog and the dog gets put into the microwave. Why you got to go for the dog? And this is actually based on another urban legend, apparently. Or apparently it happened. Um, this is the rather sad and innocent story, though, of an elderly lady called Esther. She was a widow and had a little beagle for company. And one day they went out for a walk and they got soaked. And when they got in, she tried to, like, dry the dog off. and But the dog couldn't warm up. So she went upstairs to get changed. I can't believe this is true. She went upstairs to get changed. and But, you know, people do things, don't they? And she put the dog in the microwave to warm him up for like five minutes. And when she came back, he'd exploded. So if it is true, it was good intentions, but no. So Parker, um, you know, that's what happens to his dog. But he actually dies from the pot rocks, and but they don't use soda, they use the chemicals. So he probably didn't need the pot rocks. I'd say the chemicals would have done the job. So he then gets killed. Um, his is quite aggressive, I will say that. 
Now we have Sasha and she's in the middle of a radio show and we hear her being attacked. And of course, again, because who are these fucking people? Like, why does it never occur to anyone that this could be real? She's in there basically screaming, help me now and all this kind of stuff. And they're like laughing and they think it's some joke. Like, even if you think it's a joke, go check, you know, go check. And all we have is uh, Natalie to check. And Sasha's death, though, it's really drawn out. And, you know, she's chased, she's hunted, she has a few near misses, she's thrown from the stairs, but she does manage to get away and hide. But the killer comes and finds, she doesn't do a very good job of hiding, so she just runs in this room, but she's very visible if you open the door. And I'll be honest with you, she doesn't fight back at all. She's just like, don't kill me. And, uh, you know, it, it would have been, it's too easy. It's too easy. She she could have She could have done something. I mean, if I was in this situation, would I have? Yes, probably kicked her fucking ass. Anyway, so Paul and Natalie, after Sasha's death, off they go, legging it, bumping to Brenda, pissing down, dark. And I had seen this before, but I couldn't remember who the killer was. And I was torn between Brenda and Paul. When I first watched this, I didn't know who it was at all. I hadn't a clue. But the, the, because um, I thought I remembered, I, I couldn't really... Uh, be 100% sure but I thought it was one of them too uh Wexler though is dead he's found in the back of Paul's car so of course they think it's Paul and of course Natalie and Brenda escape and they go through the woods which obviously adds to the scare because it's dark and it's wet and it's rainy and Paul could be the killer and he's chasing them and they're alone at night and there's thunder and light and it really adds to the ambiance so he legs after them and of course they all become separated and then we've got creepy janitor. So is it him? He's got the coat in his car. And he's acting really freaking weird towards Natalie because she jumps in his car and he picks her up. And honestly, he's acting really weird. Why do these people act so weird? What do they expect you to do? And they get into the whole high beams thing. So high beams again. And it's in Paul's car. This is actually really intense as they're chasing him. And the car crashes. And then it becomes clear the janitor guy is not the killer. He's just super weird. I have to mention, though, I have to mention Reese Wilson, and she is played by Loretta Levine, and she is campus security, or rent-a-cop, as they call her, and she's like a badass, and I love, like, in her room, she's got, like, this poster of Jackie Brown. I remember seeing that film back in, oh, God, was it 97? I was in Yonkers in New York. I saw that film. Uh, Pamela Greer is Jackie Brown. Anyway, <laughs> you can tell she's in her channel in her inner Jackie Brown, and I am a little bit, too. And she also plays Nurse Hallie in Doc McStuffin, the show for kids on Disney. Um, anyway, it's neither here nor there. So she really goes for it in this and she's trying to help these kids and she wants to catch the killer. And I'll be honest with you, she, I know it's campus security and it's not a cop as such, but she fucking gives it. She gives it some welly, that one. So if the woods wasn't bad enough, the isolation wasn't bad enough, we now have a creepy abandoned house. It's very derelict. We're hearing screams. There's light from a window. The windows are kind of boarded up, but not fully. It doesn't look like there's any glass. There's candles. There's dead bodies popping out everywhere. The ones that, that they've previously killed. So we get to see Damon. We get to see Dog Guy Parker. We get to see... Oh, the Dean. He cops it too. Should have fucking listened. Anyway, so we soon find out Brenda's lying on the bed. Oh, have they got me too? No. That bitch is the killer. And she's lost her shit. And I have to say, she does crazy really fucking well. 
throughout this, I'll be honest with you, I think this is why you really don't think it's her. She's kind of a non-character through this. Like, she's friends with Natalie, but she's just the friend. You know the way you get these films and there's, like, the main characters and then you've got the friend? And a lot of the time, probably we should, but you don't pay as much attention to them. So she's just kind of doing her thing, gets a bit jealous because she fancies Paul and all this. But you do realise with her that when she now comes to, as in I am the killer, there is like no talking this one out of this. She is so far gone and she's going from angry to calm to giggly. She has literally lost all sense of reality. She's mental. And it turns out that the guy, Natalie, and her mate, Michelle, killed was Brenda's boyfriend. So it's a story of good old-fashioned revenge. And because they killed her fella with an urban legend, she's doing the same. But do you know what? Did she really have to kill everyone else? Just go kill Natalie and, um, not that you should. I'm not condoning it. But, you know, she could have just killed Natalie and, um, Michelle. Well, she did kill Michelle. But she didn't kill Natalie. So the last urban legend that we have here is the old removal of the kidney. You know, this is the whole, a guy wakes up after a few drinks in a bath with a note saying, call 911 to live. They would ask him to then touch his back and see, did he have a scar? Um, I think the issue with this one is, apparently this is a thing. It's common practice to illegally steal people's organs, but you're not killing them. I mean, they could die because they could get an infection, but you know, people don't need two kidneys to survive. So while this may start as a myth, it probably, it's turned into actual real life nightmares. This one's a true one. I mean, they're, they're all true. Like, do you know what I mean? To a sense, I suppose. Well, not the, the stomach ones. I mean, they're bullshit, but like the high beams thing, you know? Um, and I'm sure a dog has been, actually, I remember a new story about that happening to a dog, but let's not go on, go into that. So Reese is hot on the trail and she finds him, she gets Brenda, but then Brenda stabs her back on track. Uh, but the death won't be an urban legend, but you know, oh well. And Paul comes in and he does a really good job of playing along. Um, I don't know the first time round would I have believed him, probably not. But in here, he does a really good job because I'll do anything for the story type thing. And uh, we can be together, we can be a couple. And, you know, she doesn't fully buy it, Brenda. And you know, of course, this is a thing that we think, you know, it's over. The film's over. And while it's slightly barbaric, Sidney Prescott is right. You should shoot them in the frickin' head and make sure they're dead. So she gets thrown out of a window. She gets thrown into a river. Does it mean they're dead? No. What it means is, is another group of students come into the university and they're talking about what happened. But Brenda's there to actually tell them what really happened. So listen to Sydney Prescott, people. Shoot them in the fucking head, right in between the eyes, okay? Because they're always going to come back. Only in movies, though, not in real life. This film actually isn't too bad. I actually didn't mind this film. I enjoyed it. But with many 90s slashers that came out after Scream, I feel like it's hard to match them. Scream was amazing, and it felt like the rest really couldn't live up to it. But we have, you know, films based on urban legends. You've got Candyman, The Ring, but the one that, you know, gets me the most is When a Stranger Calls which, you know, Craven actually does pay homage to that in his opening scene in Scream. You know, the one with the babysitter and the man upstairs. So we have this babysitter, Jane, and she was babysitting for the Millers. They had two kids, Bobby and Tiffany. 
and she had a couple of calls, but one said, have you checked on the children? And feeling scared, she called an operator and they traced the call. Apparently the uh, the operator came back saying the call come from inside the house. So while the whole story of the babysitter and the man upstairs, you know, we hear the calls coming from in the house, inside the house, screaming, all that kind of stuff. You know, the truth of it actually is a lot more sinister and it dates back to 1950 in a town of Columbia, Missouri. So it tells the story of this young girl. She was only 13, Janet Kreitman, and she was babysitting this three-year-old boy. And somebody came into the house and they raped and murdered her. Now, she did manage to call the police and she was screaming for help, but they were unable to locate her. And, you know, it sounds like the girl put up a fight because there was a lot of mess through two of the rooms. So suggesting that she really did, you know, did try and there, there was a struggle there. And they feel, though, that she knew her killer. But despite this, the case actually has never been solved. Now, the three-year-old, luckily, he was asleep. He never heard a thing and he survived. But apparently, uh, they did question a guy, a 27-year-old man, Robert Muller. He was a suspect, but he, they couldn't ever get him on it. And he died in 2006. So, you know, obviously, if it's true, he took his secrets with him. And many do believe it was him, but they, they couldn't prove it. So, you know... How do you feel about urban legends? Do you um, do you believe in them? If so, which one gets you the most? You know, let me know. Um, I'd be interested to hear about stuff. I find all this stuff quite fascinating. So I'd be interested to hear if anyone, you know, has one that they feel is true or one that is their favourite. Um, but anyway, that is my little take on urban legend. But I'm going to do a podcast promo this week. I don't do them um, every week now. And I wanted to go with a true crime one. I've listened to it myself. And I would highly recommend it. It is called Twisted and Uncorked. Hello, Twisted Humans. Do you find yourself wanting to know more about the latest murder, conspiracy, cult, or haunting? Then this is the podcast for you. We're bringing the most intense stories that will keep you up at night. Join us every Tuesday for a glass of wine and a dose of true crime. I'm Alicia. And I'm Sierra. And this is Twisted Twisted and Uncorked. Uncorked. So make sure you go listen to them and don't forget to rate and review them on iTunes and Podchaser. And also thank you for listening to me. And you can also go rate and review me on iTunes and Podchaser. I would really appreciate it. And if you want a bit more, you know, kind of behind the scenes, you can go to Instagram as Once Upon a Nightmare Podcast, on Twitter as A Nightmare Pod, and Facebook as Once Upon a Nightmare. Oh, and you can email me as Once Upon a Nightmare Pod at gmail.com. Uh, but anyway, I will chat to you again very soon and take care. The Podbreed Network is strictly for the small podcasts that are up and coming in the vast world of podcasting. Podbreed is made up of many diverse podcasts coming together to achieve the same goal of being the best damn podcast network on the planet. Find out more at podbreed.com.